0: Father, we ask that you give us grace that we would see you in all of your majesty and all of your glory, that we would see you in all of the fullness that you have to offer and not just the limited God that we see here on a Sunday morning, but one that fills the universe and certainly can fill our lives. Father, we ask that your grace would extend to those that can't make it here this morning, that they are, whether they're shut-ins or at Meadow Greens or whatever that situation looks like. Father, we ask that your grace would extend to them uh, that they'd be able to receive your message, whether it be from speakers at a, uh, on the on the radio or on TV or someone that arrives at Meadow Greens that can do a message for them. But Father, we ask that in your grace, you would allow them to be fed on a regular basis as well since they're prohibited from coming here. Father, we pray for Fredine as she has a, a series of upcoming mission strips, and we ask that you would allow her to do well at what she is wired to do, that she'd be able to go abroad and that she would bring many people the message of salvation and through your Holy Spirit, these people would be drawn to the Savior. Father, we ask that you would be with Amy's sister, that she's going through treatment and we, she's not here this morning, but I know it's heavy on her heart that uh, her sister doesn't have that long to live and... She's kind of in that loop, but she's separated by distance. So, Father, we ask that you would give her a peace that passes all understanding. And as we go through this message this morning, we know that your grace is perfect and your word is perfect as well. So we want to rightly apply it to our lives to make us grow in the the stature of Jesus Christ. We pray these things in your name. Amen. We're going to be looking at Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5, and it's going to be connected with the Beatitudes. Two weeks ago, we talked in Hebrews 5, we talked about what it means to hunger and thirst after righteousness. And we went through that and we talked about how it's normal to eat and it's normal to want to to thirst after something, and then we kind of segued into what that is spiritually. Last week, we talked about what it is to be a Jewish young man, and you needed to memorize the, the Torah, or the first five books of the Old Testament, and then if you were exceedingly bright, this went on and you had, a, you had rabbis and teachers. And we talked about that whole thing. This morning, I want to connect both this morning and next week of this Hebrews passage. And Hebrews is a fairly difficult book, so you've got to kind of have your ducks in a row if you're going to talk on it. It talks about those that, that have been in the faith, but they really haven't grown now, there may be some of you, me included, we go, well, does this message really apply to me? Because I don't really think I'm in that, in that boat. Well, Paul, who we believe is the author of Hebrews, but I'm not gonna die on that hill. They think, they think it was Paul, and some people they, they say we're really not sure, but well, just for the sake of conversation, we'll say it's Paul that is the author of Hebrews. He says that this is for everybody. And when he gave this message, he gave it to the home church that was present at that time, and he gave it to everybody regarding their growth in the knowledge and love of their Lord. There's two things that we're going to be talking about this morning, and you're going to see on your, on your outline on the back of the bulletin. We're going to talk about milk drinkers and meat eaters. That's, that's going to be our contrast. Meat eaters, milk drinkers. Now, it was about, what was it? I have it here in my notes. It was 40 years ago, seven years ago, Seven years ago was my 40th class reunion. So if you're doing your math, well, 47 years out of high school, yeah, you do your math. <clears throat> and I remember I went there, and we had, I don't know, maybe 110 or 115 people in our graduating class, and certainly not all of them were there, but we had a good sampling. And it was very interesting. <clears throat> you went there, and 40 years had passed. So you're getting reacquainted, and there was a little booklet much like our directly little book, booklet that said what people were doing or had been doing and where they're living. And and I don't want to take a broad brush and paint everybody. I really don't. But I think you can think back to your graduating class and the people that you knew when you were in high school and then decades go by and some of them are still duds, just like they were in high school. And the ones that were sharp are sharper yet. They're just—they're just like a rock, rocket that's launched, and they're just going. And there's some that are in between, certainly. But the, it just was remarkable to me that the ones that I—that I thought just kind of from a distance, they got it together. They are just a sharp kid. Well, you go 40 years. Oh yeah, they were sharp and they did all kinds of great things. And the ones that were in high school, you just kind of went. Mm. Because we affectionately, and don't send me hate mail, okay, because I won't open it. But we, we, would, we would take it at home, we'd say they're a loser. Okay, deal, okay. you got to get it right. Sometimes I get it wrong. So. But they were that kind of that way back then. And they were that same way 40 years later. That is applicable to our passage this morning, is when you came to Christ, Maybe, maybe it was last year or it was 40 years ago. It isn't that you're a rocket or a loser. Is have you changed? Have you moved on from where you were over here and you've progressed? And now people go, whoa, boy, when I saw them last, they were, they were a baby Christian. Oh, they have changed. They really got it together. They know what Scripture's all about. They know how to rightly apply Scripture. Or do they say... Wow, I I knew them when they first accepted Jesus Christ. And they're kind of still just right there. They haven't really moved a whole heck of a lot. So let's read the passage this morning. We're going to be reading, uh, starting at chapter 5, verse 11. We're going to go the first three chapters into chapter 6. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to explain because you are slow to learn. In fact, By this time, you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment, but God permitting, we will do so. Now, if you were like me, the first time you read that passage, I go, I sure hope there's somebody smarter around here to explain this thing to me because it kind of all just runs together. Well, by the end of this this message, hopefully you'll say that I'm not this guy that at least can kind of make it a little bit... Straighter, So, when we talk about retarded growth, you know, this failure to launch stuff, I'm going I'm to give you a story about my grandkids, and since I'm up here, I can do it about my grandkids. And if you were up here, you certainly could do it about your grandkids because we all have funny stories. And this shows you about their maturity way over here, okay, when they're, when they're really, really young. We had Waverly who was going to preschool, and Waverly obviously starts with a W. And we said, Waverly, do you know your alphabet? She goes, I'm an expert in W's. <laughs> <laughs> well, then, then she's been going to preschool a little bit, and she comes home, and she, they're learning their B's, and so she goes, ba 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 socks, and we go, no, 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 that isn't right. She goes, well, how about ba ba horses? Go, no, 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 that isn't it either. So. That's cute, right? We're all sitting here, and that's cute, and your kids would be cute too. But let's fast forward 12 years, or 13, or 14 years, and they do that, it's not so cute anymore. That's a failure to launch. That's not cute. And that happens in the spiritual life, is it's kind of cute when they first get saved, they ask some of these questions, and you go, yeah, we we can overlook that. They don't know. But then when they're in the faith for, however long you go, you know, it's really not cute anymore. You should be up to speed on this. You should know what you're talking about. You should have an idea what Scripture's all about. This is the problem with Paul's audience. This is the problem, is they're not progressing like they should be. So I want to make some observations about spiritual maturity, and this is spiritual maturity with milk drinkers, and it's in your... In your bulletin, I'd kind of encourage you to to follow along on this. The first one is, age alone does not produce maturity. There was once a principal who was filling an administrative position, and there was two people that were running for this administrative position, and they chose person A. And person B was really kicked off and said, Listen, I have had 25 years of experience And you chose this other person over me. And the principal says, no, that's not true. says, what you have had is, I want to make sure I get this right, because if I mess it up, it's going to be wrong. You have had one year's experience 25 times. You get that? You had one year's experience 25 times. Age alone will not cause you to grow in spiritual maturity. You say, well, I've been a believer for 20 years fine. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you have 20 years worth of maturity. Age alone will not help you get rid of your hot temper or your jealous spirit or your gossiping tongue. Age alone will not have you get rid of that. It is the application and the knowledge of God's word that is going to help you get rid of that. The Hebrews, the audience in the Hebrews were not marching forward. They were simply marking time. They're staying in the same place. They're they're moving, there's movement, but there's no movement forward. Another aspect of spiritual immaturity is it has a dullness towards God's word. And this dullness is, is translated, the dullness in the Greek is no push. There's no push. And it is oftentimes almost exclusively applied to a speaker like me up here is you go, oh boy, it's just hard to listen This guy's just puts me to just hard to listen to. Usually, it's applied to a speaker. In this particular case, it's not. It's applied to the audience. The audience has no push. They have a dullness towards God's word, and it's not merely nodding off during the sermon, but it's failing to respond honorably and wisely to the message of God. They have become... The Hebrews have become dull in their ears, they're sluggish, they're apathetic. They're not dumb, they're numb. That's the difference, they just just don't feel anything. There is a little catchy English phrase that says their get up and go has got up and went. They're just sluggish, they're dull. That is the problem. The first simple, symptom of spiritual regression or dullness is that there's some signs to it. Is if you, if you, or if you know somebody, <coughs> that is, they, they are not excited about God's word. They'll they'll listen to a podcast. They go, oh, really they'll listen to a sermon. Whether me or somebody else or a whole bunch of people, they're like, you know. They do a devotional, and they go, yeah, it's fine, but it really doesn't excite me a whole lot. Those are signs of dullness, is you're just frankly bored with God's Word. It just doesn't really do anything for you. You you get it in a different vein, and it's just all kind of dull. And it's not the speaker, because you listen to a variety of speakers. It's not the writer. You you read a variety of writers. It's just they're all just kind of boring. That is one of the first signs of spiritual regression, where you're dull of hearing. So how does one become dull of hearing? Well, the first one is, the, Hebrew, the writer of Hebrews thought it was so important that they wrote it two times. <clears throat> Once was in the 10th chapter. It says, do not let us give up meeting together, as some of you are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. And there's another one where it talks about in chapter 3 of Hebrews. Encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you become hardened by sin's deceitfulness. So the first point is, how does one become dull of hearing? It's neglect of God's Word. It's just a drifting away. You forsake the assembling together. And I think we all can agree that if you're in God's Word, there are certain portions of God's Word that cause discomfort. And some people don't like discomfort, so they just avoid God's Word and they stay as milk drinkers. They don't advance. There's a guy by the name of Dallas Willard. He wrote a book called The Divine Conspiracy. And he wrote in this book, The Greatest Danger Facing Christians Who Have an Attitude of Consumer Christianity. He talks about these consumer Christians. He he wrote, today's Christians are treated as consumer customers when they come to church. They thought they could pick and choose. They thought they were always right. They thought once they made the cut, they will be saved and are safe. They thought if they don't like what they see, it's okay to take a break and come back later. They thought it okay to take the word of God lightly and to treat the grace of God cheaply. And there are people in churches, probably not this one, but it's all a ratio. If you have Christ the King that has 2,000 or more people, there's in those people are in there, they come in there, and if it doesn't satisfy their felt need, we're out of here. We're out of here. We're going to go someplace else. We, we don't like what they're saying. And they go around to churches until they hear what they want to hear. Another another aspect of becoming dull in hearing is when we take God's word for granted. Now, there are churches where people have just stopped hearing God's word. And you go, well, what do you mean? You know, this, this guy, me, I'm so loud, how can you not hear me? Let me put it to you this way. Sal and I, we went over to some friends of ours in Vancouver here several years ago. And at the time, they lived pretty close to some railroad tracks. And they lived in a pretty nice house. And they put us up in their room and we slept overnight. And it, it was fine, everything was good. And we got up in the morning and I'll tell you what, that train would just about rumble you right out of bed. I mean, it was like astonishing. It was so loud and numerous times it was just like a beltway for trains, It's just all night long. And we get up and says, how would you sleep? He oh, it was okay. And I kind of waited an appropriate amount of time. He says, you guys happen to hear those trains? Okay. I go you don't hear a train you got kidding me that's exactly what it's like in hearing God's word is you can have somebody in your ear every week or multiple times throughout the week if you want to turn on the radio and you don't hear it you hear it but you don't hear it if we had a, if you're in if you're in the, the flight path of a plane, you have nuke and they go, whoa, as soon as they see a plane, they go, oh, I, I didn't even notice. I didn't even notice the plane. They, they, they do that all the time. And for people that are believers and they're in church, they go, oh, I didn't even hear it. Yeah, they say that all the time. They talk about God's grace all the time. They talk about, you know, we got to do this and do that. And yeah, they say that all the time. I just really didn't hear it. That's right. You take God's word for granted. You just don't hear it anymore. And then there are those who are dull of hearing when they fail to obey God's word. And that means they fail to obey what they already know. They may not know the nuances of scripture. They may not know all the doctrinal and theological technicalities, but they're not even obedient to what they know. And all of us have a breadth of knowledge that we can be obedient to. Does God want us to start or stop something? Does he want me to change my attitude forgive or help somebody, those are all indicators of dullness of hearing. So now we're going to go on to another mark of spiritual immaturity. It's the inability to share God's Word. Is there Every single one of us here should know the basics to be able to share the Word of God, to demonstrate our faith and our conviction in word and deed to to somebody, whether it's children, friends, neighbors, we should have the basics down that that is not particularly hard to do. You know, there's a, there's a movie, and you, you may have read the book or, or watched the movie, it's To Kill a Mockingbird. And there were students in there, they were in a, in a very poor area, poor rural area, and the kids, you know, some had shoes and some didn't have shoes. And if you, if you remember in there, that To Kill a Mockingbird, these kids all were excited about going to school the first day. They were all just thrilled to go to school, and they went to school the first day, and there was a whole host of them. That's all they did was they went to the first grade, first day, and they thought that was enough, and then they went home the rest of the year. And the next year, they went to school the first day, first grade for one day, and then they went home, they thought that was good enough. And the third year, they come to the school the first day, the first grade, and they just did that on and on. And they said, "Hey, we're going to school, that's good enough. It's not good enough. It causes an inability to share God's Word if you're not in it for the duration, in it for the trip, so to speak, and to learn it well. Another area of spiritual immaturity is ignorance of righteousness or ignorance of right living. That's what righteousness means. And there's a there's a whole bunch of points that I want to put under ignorance of righteousness and one of them is uh, doctrinally undiscerning. You have things like, remember remember when the Da Vinci Code first came out? That was a tantalizing movie, was it not? And you go, ooh, maybe there's all these little nuances in Scripture that we haven't unveiled yet, and they're hidden someplace, and if we just find them, then we'll have all these special truths that up to this time we're really not aware of. Or there was another one, and I'm not knocking this book, okay, but it's a purpose-driven life. And some people had... 40 days of a purpose-driven life, and the 40 days were up, and they were done. Okay, They had their 40 days of purpose-driven life, all right, and they read it, and they read the book, and they did the drill, and then they were done. Hey, I went through the book, we're done. Okay, They're not necessarily doctrinally discerning. Then there is tongues and faith healing. I'm not knocking them, but some people hang all their doctrine on that. And the, the breadth of scripture is far bigger than this. And I want to I give you a little story. When I got my, originally got my teeth cut on teaching, we were at a, we were at a church in Bellingham, and it was, this was when Sunday school was really popular. This was a class of like 100. And she went in, this was an adult class. And I couldn't, I'm sitting in the audience, and I couldn't believe it. The, the teacher up and died. <sighs> How bad is this? You know, he was an elderly guy. And you know what book of the Bible he was in when they asked me to replace him and just give it a go and see if this would work? It was Revelation. That's what I started on. That was the very first class I taught. It was on Revelation. And you know what I've learned since then? If you want to pack out a room, talk about Revelation. People love it. It's like this mint in their mouth that they can suck on, and it's really sweet, and it just tastes so good. Because there's all these things in there we really don't know, and you can let your imagination just run wild, and hey, maybe, maybe we're in the end times, and, and maybe Christ is going to be coming tomorrow, and, and all the, you get all excited about this, and when that Revelations class is done, there's seats all over the place, because they are exciting class. And so, well, Revelations is done, so we're going to go do something else. The rest of God's Word is, by comparison, it's kind of boring. bring yeah, you back to this dullness of speech. You want to pack them out? Say, we're going to do a class on Revelation. People come, they just want to hear, what's his angle on it? And then when it's done, yeah, they're not so interested anymore. Ignorance of righteousness. There's another one where people can be emotionally gullible. Fredine could tell us a lot. Gift could tell us a lot about people that are hungry in Zimbabwe or in Guatemala or in Cuba. Or I am not saying that doesn't exist, but you don't let your theological knowledge go out the window when you're going to support people like this. You don't be emotionally gullible and you respond purely on an emotional basis. There are lots of Christians that get fleeced financially because they do this. They are not discerning on who they're going to be giving their money to. There are such a thing, and it is grievous to have starving babies, disfigured lepers, or property destroyed. That is a reality, and Christianity and Christians need to be sensitive to that, but they also need to be doctrinally sound on who they're going to be giving their money to so that the money can be used in the very best way possible. We don't need to be emotionally gullible. Another one is, regarding ignorance of righteousness, is personality followers. Never become a follower of a pastor, ever. They come and go. Let's just be honest. They come and go. They should do a good job when they're here, and hopefully they're affable and friendly and, and you know, verging on perfect, like me. I know. <coughs> no, no. Don't be a personality follower because one day they're going to leave. And then what do you got? Jesus Christ needs to be front and center and not the pastor. Another one is lack of biblical discernment. Can you recognize temptation before it traps you? Can you see it coming? Are you able to apply scripture in such a way that if somebody says something, you go, I had a person say something the other day, and this, this kind of gets into the deep end of the pool real quick. He says, Well, you know, God, God died for everybody. He just kind of threw that out there, and I went, Really? God died for everybody, did he? He goes, Yeah. I says, Then if God died for everybody, then everybody should be saved, right? Otherwise, his dying is wasted. He goes, well, Yeah. I says, Is everybody saved? Well, no. Is this so that God died for everybody? Okay, we're not going to solve that today. But that is called being doctrinally discerning and being able to connect the dots and the bean trail and say, what does the Bible say about this? Because what I just said is true. But what he says has a ring of truth to it as well. So doctrinally, how do you discuss this? Are you still a milk drinker? And you go, Whoa. Whoa, the topic just left the room. I don't know what you're talking about. That left me way in the dust. Can, can, you, can you knowledgeably talk about things like that? When you hear something, does that resonate and you go, wait a minute, I'm not so sure that that's totally true. That's what I mean about being a milk drinker or a meat eater. It isn't that my way is right or your way is right, but can we doctrinally and theologically discuss this so that we know the topic? Another one is... Uh, an intellectualized Christianity. There are Christians out there that they like the idea of a loving and sovereign God. They like the idea that God died on the cross, but their lifestyle doesn't show it at all. And they certainly like the idea of, of people looking at them as, as, as upright and clean and a good person, and they're here on Sunday morning, and they're dressed up, and they're, they're a very pleasant person, but they have an intellectualized Christianity not something that is deep-seated and it comes out of the very fiber of who they are. Another one is, they have a relationship over doctrine. Relationship over doctrine is, I want to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, all this doctrine stuff, you know, people just argue about this. and It really doesn't make any difference, so I just want to love Jesus. That's all I want to do. I don't want to get into the weeds with all this stuff doctrinally. And I'd say, well, yeah, a, a relationship is really important. Oh, absolutely. It is absolutely critical. But when you know doctrine and theology, then you really get to know who it is you love. It really, You really get to know who you're having a relationship with. You know the nuances. And for those of you that have spouses, if you say, all I want to do is just love my spouse. That's all I want to do. Well, don't you want to know about what they like and they don't like? And what they like to do and what they like to eat. No, I really don't even know that. I just want to love my spouse. That would appear to be a very superficial relationship if all you wanted to do is just love your spouse, but you didn't want to know all the nitty gritty underneath the surface all about them and what makes them tick. That's what some people do is they have relationship over doctrine. There's another another aspect of ignorance of righteousness is immaturity says I believe that doctrine, but I don't think it's important for other Christians to believe it. You know, I can believe in hell or the Trinity or Jesus is God. I can believe in a God that is all knowing. I can believe in salvation through Jesus Christ and sovereignty, but it's okay if you don't believe that. It's okay. We can just kind of pick and choose what we like and I'm okay with thats that. Some people would say that. You know, I don't want to be hard and fast with what the Bible says. We can just kind of, if you think it's good, that's fine. And if you don't think it's good over here, that's fine too. If you don't think God is sovereign, it's okay. And if you think God is sovereign, it's okay too. We're just all one big happy family. I go, now, the the Bible has things to say about this, and we need to have maturity. We need to have an emphasis on relationship but we need to have an emphasis on doctrine as well. Immaturity believes this, that it's okay to pick and choose the parts of our faith that we agree with and we kind of leave on the margins those that we have trouble with or we just don't believe. So we're just going to pick and choose. It's kind of like Thomas Jefferson. When he went through the Old Testament, he decided that there were certain parts of the New Testament that he didn't like and he, didn't, he wasn't a big believer in, in miracles, so he would just, just tear that page out. And then he'd go through and he'd tear that page out. And then he'd go a little bit further and he'd tear that page out too because, see, he wanted to pick and choose on what he wanted to believe and he thought miracles were a little bit out there in the margins and I don't want to line myself with them so he just adjusted his Bible accordingly. Well, if we all were to do that, it wouldn't take very long and there would be virtually nothing left in the Bible because we want to pick and choose, which is really, really nice to believe in and that those things that are offensive, we want to take those out. We just want to take that out. That is ignorance of righteousness or right living. So I got one final point on this um, spiritual immaturity. Another one is an insufficient biblical diet. An insufficient biblical diet. Just as infants need to grow beyond milk, Christians need to grow spiritually. We don't want to grow and accumulate knowledge just for the sake of accumulating knowledge. It must lead to right Living, And this is not a legalistic right living. This is living that is in line with what our Savior Jesus Christ would want. So belief, I I have told this in counseling, I've told this many times, is our thinking is always first. If you have wrong thinking, it's just a matter of time, you're going to have wrong behavior. It's just a matter of time. You need to change your thinking. Romans 12, verse 2 says, be transformed by the renewing of your minds. You always change your thinking. If you, were to, if you were of the age of working, or you pick it. If you tell yourself, 30 days in a row, every morning you get up, you go, I don't like my job. I really don't like my job. Within 30 days, I'm willing to bet most of a dollar. You're not going to like your job. Conversely, if you, if you get up and you say, I don't like my car, I don't like this car, I want a new car, I want a new car, Every I want a new car, I don't like this car, I'll bet you within six months, you're going to have yourself another car. You're going you're to do it some way or another. You are, your behavior is going to match your thinking. And the opposite is true as well as you go, I am so blessed, God has given me so much and I love my job. And you say that to yourself every day for 30 days. I'll bet you at the end of 30 days you're going to be a long ways towards liking your job. A long ways because our behavior always follows our thinking. So if you keep rehearsing things that are negative, guess what? You're going to start being a negative person. You rehearse things about you want to rehearse the blessings of God and how blessed you are and how how wonderful it is to be a child of the king, people will think you're absolutely weird. But your behavior will show that. And when people ask me how I'm doing, I says, couldn't be better. Life is great. And they go, Yeah, yeah, you're right. No, really. I says, No, really. Life is great. Because you know why? It is. It really is. So we got an insufficient biblical diet. Now we're going to switch gears and we're going to go, what does a meat eater look like? A meat eater is one who who it is produced by practice, that's the word I put in my in your, in your outline. It is produced by practice, acting on what you already believe. And I'm just going to give you a series of things. I'm, they're just rhetorical. I'm not going to expound on them. But they're obviously going to sh- point in the direction of spiritual maturity. Did you read your Bible this week? Did you pray this week? Were you of service this week? Are you a source of encouragement? Are you able to talk about your faith. When a person is talking about a meat-eater as opposed to a milk-drinker, you're to move beyond elementary things. But You've got to understand this. Move beyond elementary things, but not away from elementary things. We don't discard the elementary things that we're going to be going over here in just a little bit. Those are highly important. They're foundational. But we move beyond them, not from them. There's a, that's, a, that's a huge distinction. It says in chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Therefore let us lead the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance, and it goes on and on. That laying again the foundation is another uh, figure of speech where it is... It is implying that if we were to tell you that there's a builder among us, and there may be, or there's a builder that you know, and he came and he laid the foundation, and he let it dry, and next week he comes in and he tears it all out and he lays the foundation again. And then he waits a couple weeks and he tears it all out and he lays the foundation again. And you'd go, this guy is nuts. That's what it's referring to here spiritually is people that, that are getting the basics of what God has. So it says they lay the foundation, and then they let it simmer a little bit, and then they lay it again. And some pastors are very, they're very, I don't want to say proud in the wrong word, they're, they're, they like giving what they, they call the simple gospel. I just want to give the simple gospel. Well, the simple gospel has huge connotations for, let's just lay the elementary principles all out again. And then we lay them out again. And we do it again, and we go, are we ever going to get into some real meat where we can move beyond this? These elementary things are very important, but they're not everything. Let's move beyond them, not from them. So what are some of these elementary teachings that Paul is talking about? Well, he talks about, in verses 1 through 3, repentance. Can we not agree? Repentance is critical. You have to have repentance if you're going to be having the the Christian life. It's it's a heart of seeking God. It repents from acts that lead to death. Okay, there's one. Another one is faith in God. That's what the scripture passage tells us. That's another one. It's faith in God. The third one is instruction about baptism. Can we say that baptism is really important? Yes. But is it all there is? Can we... If, if we if come up here and we baptize somebody and they don't ever move beyond baptism, you go, really? You're still back to the day you got baptized? Have you not advanced and, and become a little more spiritually mature than that? So we got repentance, faith in God, instruction about baptism, the laying on of hands, and what that referring to here, the laying on of hands, is God's anointing and confirmation. And they'll do this to various people, whether it be somebody like fredine or something. It's been known you lay your hands on them, or if somebody is going to be teaching Bible study fellowship or some, they're, they're going to be commissioned to a job that they have to do. You could you could lay their hands on them. It's kind of like a group blessing upon that person or persons. So, but that is an elementary thing: is to commission somebody to do something. The third or the uh, the next one is resurrection of the dead. Pretty elementary stuff is some are going to be resurrected for an eternal reward, and the final, is, final one is eternal judgment. Some are going to be raised for eternal punishment. So you've got repentance, faith in God, instruction about baptism, the laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. Those are the elementary things that Paul just brought up in here. He says, some of you have never moved beyond these. So he articulates what those are. And I'm going to close with this. There's a guy by the name of John Stott. Maybe some of you have heard of him. He's a very prominent Christian, and he was asked, what is the greatest need of the church today? And his answer was this. The church needs a greater number of deep Christians, Christians that are not shallow or superficial, but deep and committed. Richard Foster, very popular book that he wrote, it's called Celebration of the Disciplines. He said, superficiality is the curse of our age. The doctrine of instant gratification is a primary spiritual problem. The desperate need today is not for a greater number of intelligent people or gifted people, but for deep people. And you don't get there overnight. And there's no easy road to getting to be a spiritually mature person. You don't get it by sleeping on your Bible. It takes work, it takes diligence, and it takes study, but it is hugely rewarding. And all Paul is saying, both to his audience and to us today, have you moved on from the elementary things to something where you're starting to eat meat? He makes this food analogy because it resonates with the people. So we we have talked about the the attitude of hungering and thirsting after righteousness. We talked about the knowledge it takes for a Jewish young man to be brought up in what they believed was important, the Torah and the Old Testament and the, Jewish, the Talmud and all this good stuff. Okay, we talked about all that and all the thousands and thousands of hours that that would take. So now we skip ahead to where we are today. I hope it does not characterize you and I when you say, is there a dullness here? Is there a slowness to learn? I hope that does not depict this church. I hope it doesn't depict the churches in this region. I really do. But we all know with some people, it does. I had a guy who was, who I ran across here, and I'm gonna close with this, who has been exposed to the things of Jesus Christ. And I don't believe he's a Christian yet, but I talked to him about the free gift of salvation. Jesus died on the cross for you and for me. And, and if you accept him as your Lord and Savior, you have a home in heaven. If you don't, you don't have a home in heaven. There's a place that you don't want to go to in hell. And I told him, it is like a judge that is sitting on the bench. And he looks at me in the audience and I'm accused of all kinds of heinous things. And the judge wraps his gavel and he says, yep. He says, you're guilty. Of all of them and he asks the person me or you to come on up to the bench and he is going to render sentence and when he comes up there he he gets off the bench and he comes around and he stands next to you and looks at you and says you're guilty but I'm willing to take your penalty that's what Jesus Christ did for you and I is he got off the bench and he had every right to give a sentence And he came down, he stood next to you, and he says, because you believe in me as your Lord and Savior, I'll take the penalty for you. And the guy looks at me and he goes, well, that's good. He says, I really like that. That's good. It was like the first time he'd ever heard of it. The elementary teachings of the Bible. They are critical, but they need to be moving on from there. So for you, this is not to bang you over the head and say you're never doing enough. It is to encourage you and say, move on from spiritual immaturity. And even if you are at maturity, keep pressing on because it's a joy to your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But here's here's just as good a reason. You have kids, grandkids, friends, and neighbors who are watching you. They absolutely are. They're watching you. And if you claim the name of Jesus Christ, They may be watching you from a distance, but they're watching you. What do they see? It's just a question. Same question for me. What do they see? I hope they see a Christ that is growing and vibrant and positive and in love with the Savior because that kind of a lifestyle is contagious. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the, the goodness and the truthfulness of your word. We pray that we would all long to hunger and thirst after your word and become more and more conformed to the image of the Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for, for the clarity of your word and how it nudges us and encourages us to go in a particular, particular direction to become more and more like the Savior. So we thank you for your word, and we thank you for, for this hour in Christ's name. Amen.